Good afternoon. It is Tuesday, November 8th. Welcome to an edition of Bill Allen's Facebook Studies on this election day in the United States. I hope and pray that you are involved uh, as much as your conscience would let you be involved, which I hope includes voting at least, and however else you want to be involved in our nation's uh, world and culture and even politics. I think it's okay to be involved in that. I think it's also good to differentiate between the political world and the kingdom of God, the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, we maintain that it is right for us to live for Jesus every single day and whatever opportunities he gives us to have an influence and an impact on our world, then let's do that. And I think this is one way voting that you can do that. Uh, of course, an even more important way is prayer, praying for our nation today, praying for our communities, our states, our leaders, and uh, also praying for the rest of our world because the United States has such a, a great impact on the world. We hope and pray that uh, God will be very well seen in the activities of today and that his will would be done, whatever that is, uh, whatever that is. I uh, have uh, given up trying to play God. I, I tell people all the time, and you've heard me say it as well, I've come to believe two things about God. Number one, I believe that he exists, and number two, I believe that I'm not him. <laughs> and that is a very liberating thing, actually, which means I can leave the business of running the world uh, to God himself, and I'll go about doing all the good that I can do wherever he gives me the opportunity. Whoever is in power in Washington or Austin or wherever that might be. I'm glad that uh, you're along with us today. We're in a, a wonderful time reading through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, this week we are reading some of the most well-known parables, stories that Jesus tells. We've talked about the parables already, and uh, we remember that they are an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. We remember that they are very concrete, very practical very earthy stories that are all about things that we see in our everyday lives. Certainly, as Jesus told them in first century Palestine, that was the case. And we can even see the applications in our world today. It's a different world, different place, different language. All of those things are true, different time. But at, but at the same time, uh, we, we get it. We get it. And these parables that we're looking at today, I hope that as we read them and remind each other of them and tell these stories once again, I hope that you will hear the impact. Uh, it's very easy to just remember the punchline because we know them so well. But at the same time, it's always good to listen as if we're hearing this story for the first time and try to try to ask ourselves, remember the question we ask, what is the point? What's the point of this parable? There are lots of applications that can be made, and some of the ones we're looking at today have many wonderful applications. But let's ask ourselves, okay, what is this parable especially saying to me today? Um, and so let's get to it. I'm excited about this. I'm excited about these stories. And um, uh, they again, they are some very well-known stories. We're going to be in the book of Luke so if you want to click over or turn to Luke chapter 10, that's where we start. Uh, we'll read a little bit from some of these, but mostly they're so familiar we can tell them to each other. 
And, uh, and so I'll share some of the, story, the stories and also some applications and highlight some things that are in them because we're going to be looking at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of these wonderful stories uh, today from the book of Luke. The first one is in Luke chapter 10. And it is arguably the most well-known of all the parables. Uh, it has it pops up in popular culture all the time. Anytime someone talks about being a good Samaritan or a good Sam, we get it. And whether you've ever read the Bible or not, you understand what that good Samaritan is. It's someone that stops and actually helps someone. And that all goes back to this story that Jesus told almost 2,000 years ago. And it's recorded in Luke uh, chapter 10. And I think one of the things that we've talked about these parables and looking for hints in the context as to what the application might be, what Jesus' purpose is in telling this story. And Luke 10, unlike the parable of the sower and the soils and the weeds and the wheat, uh, we don't get a, a specific explanation. But when we look at how Jesus begins, how Luke records the beginning of this, and also uh, how Jesus concludes it and makes the application, I think we find it exactly uh, everything that we need to understand it and to be challenged by it. And so let's, uh, let's take a look at these verses first of all, starting in verse 25 of Luke 10. There's a, uh, we read this story in the other Gospels as well, Matthew and Mark, but Luke puts it in a different context. Uh, Matthew and Mark talk about it from the perspective of Jesus being questioned, and that, this one does too, but then they end it. Um, Luke 10 verse 25 starts out with a man coming to Jesus and asking him, uh, what is the greatest commandment in the law? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus asks him, well, what do you think it is? Matthew and Mark talk about that question being uh, posed to him by those who are trying to trap him. Uh, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Here we have a man who is an expert in the law coming to Jesus and asking the question, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And we, can, we know that he's trying to justify himself. Luke tells us that later. But, um, but Jesus turns it over back to him. Uh, God has got a great history that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden of asking questions of us. Um, and so he does that here as well. Uh, Jesus says, well, uh, how do you read it? What do you think? And the man says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And amazingly, those are exactly the two that Jesus responds with when he's asked, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And so Jesus tells him in verse 28, well, that, that's right. Ding, 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 ding. That is the correct answer. Do those things and you'll live. It's a great summary of the commands of God. To love God with everything you are and have and to love your neighbor as yourself. You do those two things in a true and faithful way, then you're going to fulfill all those other commandments as well. You're going to be obedient to God and his word, and you're going to try to help and serve others as well. And so Jesus says, do this and you live. But as Luke records in verse 29, he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus a follow-up question, who is my neighbor? 
Jesus had said, love your neighbor as yourself. And so he asked the question, well, who is my neighbor? And really, you know what he's asking, don't you? He's asking, well, who do I have to love? He's the kind that wants to get through on just the minimum. Just tell me what I have to do and I'll do that and no more. Who do I have to love? Who is my neighbor? Well, Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan in response, which is not an answer to the man's question, but it is an answer to a very much more important question. And you know the story. A man was traveling between Jerusalem and Jericho. They were known at that time uh, to, uh, that was known to be a very dangerous uh, road. We're familiar with places that you kind of want to stay away from because they have a great reputation of being dangerous spots. And, and that was one of them. And so sure enough, the man uh, fell among thieves. They came and they beat him and they stole his his money and his uh, everything that he had and left him there to die. And as Jesus goes along, he says a priest happened to be going by and he passed by on the other side of the street. In the same way, a Levite came by, two leaders of the Jews came by and passed by on the other side as well. And then came the Samaritan. Now, to get the impact of this, we have to remember the priests and the Levite were some of the most respected people among the Jews. And the Samaritans were outcasts. We've talked about them before. Their history goes back to the time when the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, carried them off into captivity, brought other people in, and then brought people back that were Jews so that they could intermarry with the group that was there, the pagans that were there, to appease the gods of the land, as the Assyrians thought. And that was where we find the Samaritans getting their big start. And so from that time on, they were, there was a lot of animosity between the Jews that were Orthodox Jews who could trace their lineage all the way back to Abraham. And the Samaritans were kind of this half-breed mix of people that never uh, seemed to have the respect of the others. Well, that's the third person. And the Samaritan stops and helps. He bandages him up. He gives him medical aid. He puts him on his own donkey, takes him to an inn. He tells the man, look, take care of this guy and here's some money. And when I get back, if, if there's more owed, I'll pay it. Just take care of him. And so then Jesus asked the question after telling that surprising story. Um, he asked him in verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Couldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. <laughs> Just the one who helped him, the one who did the right thing, the one who did good. And Jesus tells him, okay, now you go and do the same. And again, we don't, we don't get the impact of that because uh, we are familiar with Samaritans. They, they don't mean the negative things to us that they did to the people in Jesus' day, including this man who was trying to justify himself. And so what Jesus is clearly saying to us today is to go and do likewise as well. Not be like the priest and the Levite, the religious leaders. Not be one who passes by on the other side, but one who stops and helps. Granted, in our day and time, you also have to acknowledge that there is further danger there. And is it a risk worth taking? That's the question. But Jesus says, as much as you can, take that risk. That person is worth it. They're created in the image of God just like you are. Um, stop and help. 
And it, it may not even with some, a lot of times I think of this story in the context of driving and seeing somebody needing help, and that's a good application, but it goes far further than that. Uh, people that you know that are ill or people that are discouraged or that you haven't seen in a while or maybe that have stopped attending church or uh, maybe that are going through a, a loss of a loved one or a job or health concerns, whatever it might be, stop and help. Stop your life and help them. If you're thinking of somebody like right now, it's very likely that the Holy Spirit put that name in your head. And he did it for a reason so that you would be a good Samaritan. Go and do the same, Jesus tells us today. Well, we go from uh, Luke chapter 10 to Luke chapter 15, and if you're familiar with Scripture, you know that there are three great parables in Luke 15, all related, and one of them especially, uh, along with the Good Samaritan, one of the most well-known of all, the parable, we call it the parable of the prodigal son. But it starts really in the first couple of verses of Luke 15. And again, it's don't, don't bypass those verses too quickly because they give us a hint as to what the application and what the purpose is that Jesus has in sharing these parables that follow, including the parable of the prodigal son. Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the scribes, muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So that's what Jesus is going to comment on in these three stories, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons, sons, plural. The lost sheep is, again, a, a very famous story of Jesus, and he tells the story of the man who had a hundred sheep, and one of them wanders off, and he leaves the 99, and he goes and finds that one lost sheep because it has value. And when he finds him, he puts it over his shoulders, and he brings it back, and then he rejoices because that one sheep that had been lost was now found. Similarly, the next story, the parable of the lost coin, a woman is, uh, has lost a coin, and when she loses her coin, she does what we do, right? <laughs> she cleans house. She looks through every nook and cranny, every drawer, every whatever she could find, under every rock, every, every, uh, uh, everything that she has in her house, she turns upside down so that she can try to find that coin. And when she does... She is so thankful and she is so happy and rejoicing and she calls all of her friends and says, rejoice with me because what I, 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 I found my coin. I'd lost it and now I had found it. I found it. And in both of these stories, Jesus makes an application and he says, in the same way, the angels of heaven are rejoicing when even one sinner comes back to the father, uh, more so than 99 faithful ones in that first story. Because God loves all of us, loves us all the same. But at the same time, when someone has been away from him and he comes back or she comes back, it's a great time of rejoicing and rightly so. And we see that contrast, especially in the third story, the great parable of the prodigal son. And I think it's, we could call it the parable of the prodigal sons. I think more accurately, we could call it the parable of the loving father. Because he's the real hero in the story. 
But you know the story. A man has two sons. One of them comes to him, the younger of the two, comes to him and says, hey, I'd like to have my inheritance. I know you're very healthy, Dad, and you're not going anywhere, but I don't want to wait. I want it now. And the father gives it to him. And it's after a while, the son takes that money, takes his stuff, and runs out. He leaves. And Jesus in the story tells us that he goes, as the old translation says, to a far country. He goes far away from dad, as far away as he can, enjoying that independence, enjoying that wealth, enjoying being a free man, charting his own course. And sure enough, the money runs out. And just like that great Eric Clapton song (laughs) says, uh, nobody knows you when you're down and out. Well, this man, all of his friends leave him. They all leave him. And he has to take a job doing something that is detestable to Jews, working for a farmer in his in his pig pen. And he was so hungry that he would have been glad to have the pig food. And in the middle of that pig pen, at the bottom, he finally comes to himself. Again, the old translation. He wakes up and he says, you know, this isn't right. There are people in my father's house, slaves in my father's house, who are doing far better than I am. I'm going to I'm gonna go home. He decides he's going to go home. And he says, I'm going to go home with my hat in my hand. I'm going to go home and tell my dad, look, I did wrong. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just, just let me be one of your slaves. Let me be one of your servants, and, and I'll be happy. And so he does. He's got this speech. He rehearses it all along the way back home. And, and while he's not quite there yet, coming up the path, his father sees him. And many have made the application. The father was watching for him. And I think that's true. I think that's true. The father was longing for his son to return home. We know that because of how he responded. He runs out to meet him. I've heard preachers preach sermons entitled something like, I saw God run. And it's that point, God running to that sinner that's coming home. God running to meet you if you've been away from him and you decide to take a turn. That's called repentance and get back on the path towards God. He'll run to meet you, I guarantee it. I promise you, he will run to meet you. This father did, and he ran, and he threw his arm around him, and he said, hey, my son, my son, my son, and the and the son began his little speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight, I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. And the father interrupts him and tells his servants, go get a ring and put it on his finger, shoes for his feet, and uh, the best robe and put around him, and get that fattened calf that we've been saving for a special occasion. There's nothing more special than today. Kill it, and let's have a great big feast and party because my son was lost and he's now found um, my son is home my son is home well all that's wonderful and how wonderful it would be if the story ended there but that's really not Jesus point because remember when we started out we started out talking about those religious leaders of the Jews who were kind of a little bit arrogant about how Jesus was palling around and talking to and accepting uh, sinners and tax collectors and others who were considered outcasts. The Jewish leaders thought they were better than the others, and they looked at them as sinners as if they weren't. And Jesus, he he didn't justify their actions. In fact, we find several times in Scripture where Jesus told them to do what's right and to leave their life of sin, as he told that woman in John 8, caught in the very act of adultery. But in this case, Jesus tells a story to these religious leaders of the Jews. 
And and it's the older son that helps us to identify his message. The older son had been working in the field, hadn't gone away to the far country, hadn't asked for an early inheritance. Oh, no, he stayed there, took care of dad, took care of the place, out working hard all day, and he comes home. And when he comes home, he sees, hears the music, he sees something going on, and he asks somebody, what is it? And the man says, well, your younger brother has returned, and your father has killed a fattened calf, and has thrown this big party for him. Well, the older son was arrogant and, and resentful, and he wouldn't even go in the house. I could see him sitting out on the porch like this, you know, tapping his foot, just very mad, very mad. And the father knows, hears that he's out there, and he goes out there to meet him, and he says, why don't you come in? And, and the son says, look, I've, I've given you everything. I've worked hard for you all my life. I haven't squandered uh, my inheritance away, asked for it early, and then wasted it in uh, sinful living like your younger son has that you're now celebrating. And the father says, look, everything I have is yours. If you wanted to throw a party for you and your friends, just do it. Just say the word. At any moment, everything I have is yours. But he says, it's right for us to celebrate today. It's right for us to rejoice because your brother, who is lost, has been found. Uh, he was dead, and now he's alive. He's come home. I worry sometimes that we're like that older brother. If you hear this story, and you're lost in sin, and you know it, you're the prodigal son, you can come home. But if you hear this story and you're living your life faithfully every day, involved in church, trying to do what's right, then you better ask yourself, okay, eek, am I that older brother? Am I that one who's a little bit resentful for those who don't do as much as I do, don't work as hard as I do, aren't as faithful as I am, don't sacrifice as much as I do, and yet they receive the same blessing from God that I will receive? We should rejoice. We should rejoice and be thankful, just like this loving father is. What a great, great chapter, Luke chapter 15. Uh, we turn to Luke chapter 16, and we, first of all, read this very confusing and challenging story of this shrewd manager. Uh, he wasn't being very honest, apparently, and, and he wasn't doing his job well, and his master told him, okay, clean out. Clean out your desk. You're out of here. But instead of uh, having security walk him out, he gives him the opportunity to uh, go to those people who had, he had accounts with and he was responsible for. And he has them cut their bills in half or, or at least cut it back and tell them, okay, we'll, we'll call it even right here. We'll call it even right here. And, and, um, and, and he's commended by the manager that fired him. And Jesus makes that application, and, and I'm glad he does because I don't like this parable either. But Jesus says, you know, the master commended the dishonest manager in chapter 16 of Luke, verse 8, because he had acted shrewdly. And he says, you know, people, worldly people, um, we don't want to learn morals and ethics from them, but sometimes they can teach us a thing or two about how to live in this world and survive in this world. Um, and so... Jesus gives us the application in verse 9. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. I think what Jesus is saying here is use worldly wealth and material things for the sake of people, not the other way around. It seems like sometimes we're tempted to do it the other way around and to use our friends or to use other people 
to get worldly wealth and material things. And Jesus says that's backwards. In fact, he goes on and says in Matthew, uh, in Luke uh, 16, verse 13, what Matthew says in the Sermon on the Mount, the end of chapter 6, he says, no, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll be faithful to one and despise the other, or you'll, or you'll turn it around. You'll be faithful to the other one. Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve both God and anything else. The first of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. The first and greatest commandment, according to Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Um, we're called upon to use things to gain people and not the other way around. Uh, chapter 16 continues, and we have another very famous parable. Perhaps you've heard of it, maybe not as much as the others. But starting in verse 19, Jesus tells the story, still on that theme of material things, he tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And he talks about this rich man who had it all. He had it all. And even when he was at his banquet table, he, he wouldn't try to help others. This, this poor man by the name of Lazarus was a beggar. And he would gladly sit under the man's table and just take the scraps. Well, as Jesus tells the story, they both died. And they both died and they both go to what the, the world of the dead, of the grave, the world of Hades, H-A-D-E-S is. Not exactly the same as hell in scripture, but more of a place where it's kind of a waiting place. And the rich man is there in torment. And Jesus says that Lazarus, not the same Lazarus that Jesus will raise from the dead. This is a story. This is a made up person. But the beggar, Lazarus, goes to Abraham's bosom. And he is, as Jesus would tell the thief on the cross, he is in paradise. Well, the rich man sees this and he's in torment and he says, Father Abraham, please send, send Lazarus just to give me a drop of water, just to, just to ease me in this, in this torment. And, and Abraham says, no, I'm, I'm sorry, you had your good things here in the world now, Lazarus has been rewarded and you are in torment and, and we can't go back and forth. There's a barrier so that we can't do that. And so the, to his credit, the rich man in torment says, well, then send him to my, to my home. Send him back to my father's house because I have brothers and, and they need to be warned. They need to know not to come to this place. They need to change their lives. And Abraham says, well, look, they have Moses and the prophets. They can, they can read their Bible. They can read their Bible. And the rich man says, no, Father Abraham, in verse 30, but if someone from the dead were to come back and tell them, then they would change. And listen to what Jesus has Father Abraham say in Luke 16, verse 31. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And so I have to ask you the question, is this, is this enough? Is this, is this book enough? Is this Bible, is this word of God enough for you to read it and to understand it and to hear it and to listen to it and be challenged by it and to try to live according to it? Or are you looking for something else, some, something that will satisfy you, something that will titillate, something that will be exciting, more exciting than you think the scriptures are, which I cannot imagine, but many would think that. It's the word of God just not enough for you? Do you want something more 
Do you want something more, um, more culturally acceptable today? A lot of the things that Jesus tells us would not resonate with our culture today. Is it enough? Jesus says, if you have the Bible and you don't listen to it, then you're not going to listen to it. You're not going to be obedient even if someone rises from the dead. And Jesus himself, when he lived, there were people who rejected him. It's hard for us to believe, those of us who are believers, but it shouldn't be because we know in our hearts how tempted we are sometimes to get away from the word of God, to wish for something better, something more from God that would help us to understand better, help us to be more faithful but we have it. We have it in the word of God. Be careful about this parable, the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. It's a story. It's a story. I've seen preachers have nearly a whole room full of walls with charts going everywhere about what happens when you die. The Bible really doesn't tell us specifically what happens when we die. This is just a story. It's a parable. I don't think that Jesus is trying to deceive us at all. But remember, it's a made-up story with a point. And the point is share your blessings with others because you don't want to go to torment. You want to go to Abraham's bosom and be there with the faithful. Um, and so let's watch out for that. Well, let's keep going, shall we? We've got a couple of more parables in Luke chapter 18. In Luke chapter 18, is uh, uh, the first one starts out with another one that we find a little bit distressing, the parable of the persistent widow. There's an unjust judge who doesn't care about God, doesn't care about what's right and wrong in dealing with people. Good thing we don't have politicians like that today. Huh? It is voting day. It is election day. So another little, little reminder to be prayerful today. But this is a judge uh, who has responsibility and authority and, and can help people but doesn't really care about helping them unless it helps him. And so there's a, a widow that's been wronged, and she has nothing. And what she has has been taken away from her unjustly. And she goes to this judge asking for justice, and he refuses to hear her. And she goes to him again and again and again and again. And finally, he says, look, even though I don't fear God or care about what's right and wrong with people, I'm going to give this woman what she wants, so she'll quit pestering me. Well, that, that's not a good view of God, is it? And so we have to be careful. Again, when you read the parables, don't go everywhere applying them. Listen for the point and then judge them, the rest of it, according to the rest of the teaching of Scripture. Scripture tells us that God is a loving God, a merciful God, a holy God, a just God. He's not going to be like this man. But what is Jesus' point? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 6, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? who cry out to him day and night. That's what he's telling us to do. Keep crying out to God day and night. Even if you don't hear results, even if you wonder sometimes, is he even hearing me? He's certainly not acting on it if he is. Keep praying. Keep praying. Be persistent in prayer, just like this widow was in the story that Jesus told. Because God is the loving Father. He will act. And he will deliver. And he will bless you. Well, one last parable is... Um, uh, this parable that we find in starting in verse 18 of Luke 18, it's the parable of uh, the Pharisee um, and the tax collector. It starts out actually in, in verse 9. And, uh, and, 
And again, it introduces itself. Verse 9 tells us a hint about how to apply the story that Jesus is going to tell us. In Luke 18, verse 9, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Yikes! (laughs) I don't know about you, but I think Jesus is telling this one to me. He's telling this one to those of us who have sought to follow God, who have sacrificed, who have sought to live faithfully, who have taken the Bible seriously, who have gone to church and been active in church, sought to help people even when it cost us. And the way Satan tempts us is to try to dangle that in front of us and say, see there, there are some people out there that aren't nearly as righteous as you are. They don't do nearly as much as you do. They're not nearly as faithful as you are. They haven't sacrificed nearly as much. Jesus tells this parable to us. And so he says, two men went to pray. One was a Pharisee, a man who was well-respected, very faithful, well-known in the law. He knew it all. And he goes in there and he prays this prayer about himself. Some versions he prays to himself, and he might as well have. And he says, Lord, I'm thankful that I'm not like this, these scum around here. I'm, I, I give, I, I'm active, I serve. I, I'm not like even this, this, this tax collector over here. Um, thank you, God. I'm sure you're appreciative of how wonderful I am. That's kind of the way he prayed. Do we pray that way sometimes? If we don't say it out loud, do we think it? Do we feel it? Especially when we look at others who are struggling. The other man that went to pray was that tax collector, that publican, that sinner. And he wouldn't even look up to heaven. In fact, he just beat his breast and he said, God, forgive me, a sinner. And that's all he could bring himself to say. Jesus applies it in verse 14 of Luke 18. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I hope you've benefited from this quick look, again, through some of the most well-known parables that Jesus tells. But what great reminders they are to us that we can always come home like that younger son did. We can rejoice at the blessings that uh, God gives because of his mercy to others, not just to ourselves. We can be thankful that we have blessings and be thankful enough that we are actually willing to share them with others who are in need and not be like that rich man who ended up in torment. Uh, We can try to do the best we can with what we have to help others rather than use people to try to get more. We can keep praying no matter what. We can keep praying no matter what. We can humbly go to God in prayer, recognizing our own sinfulness. And we can be like that good Samaritan and love our neighbors with an active, helping love. Love our neighbors as ourselves. Thursday, we get to talk about the wonderful story from John 11 of Jesus raising his good friend Lazarus. It's one of only three uh, accounts in Scripture, in the Gospels, of Jesus raising someone from the dead. Do you remember the other two? We'll talk about them on Thursday. May God bless you. May God bless our great nation. May God bless his world and use us to help and to bless.
I'll see you Thursday.